episode 198 for October 2012. The Spider-Man Crawl Space Podcast is sponsored by MailOrderComics.com. They have discounts that start at 38th and they go up to 75% off the cover price of new comics and trades. An example on this episode is on Amazing Spider-Man number 699.1. This one sets up the new Morbius ongoing series, and this one he's at a crossroads. Will he go back to his blood-sucking ways, or will Spidey have to put him back in the Slimer? The cover price for the book, $2.99. Mail order has it for just a buck eighty-five, which is 38% off the cover price. So check them out at MailOrderComics.com. All right, I think that tackles the news. Let's uh, go on to our segments. Uh, Bertoni's bio was a pretty good hit. People liked that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Now I feel bad that I'm following a Bill Inlaw with Mindworm. Like, it's like <laughs> Bill Inlaw, I love that. Yeah. Hit me up, with Mindworm. All right, Mindworm was uh, he's uh, from the Conway uh, Ross Andrew run, and basically there's an issue where after Harry Osborn firebombs Peter Parker's apartment, he goes to Rockaway to live with Flash Thompson. And while he's there, like, you see Mindworm, and he's like, oh, Peter Parker, you know, like, his psyche is too strong for me. Because apparently what he does in this Rockaway neighborhood, and we he's been doing it for a while, is while everyone is sleeping, he basically hypnotically makes them all sleepwalk to his house in their pajamas, including Flash Thompson. And he, <laughs> he draws from their energy. And we find out in that issue, his origin, that basically... um the, the doctor gives you, like, a one-off explanation, like, yes, a lot of babies who were born near this industrial power plant, you know, were stillborn, but your baby's the only one that survives. And Baby Mindworm, like, apparently, he's like a psychic vampire. He, like, he, he takes your energy from you, and slowly his mother, like, lost all energy until she became a zombie and she died. It freaked his father out, so he, like, ran in front of a train. So ever since then, Mindworm has kind of just been psychically feeding off of people. He could control you, and he could also make you see things, and Spider-Man was too strong for him, and having Spider-Man be in Rockaway was too much for him, so he has Flash Thompson and all the other pajama neighbors try and kill Spider-Man. Spider-Man, like, <laughs> slaps him in the ears, and, like, it somehow shuts his power off temporarily, and all the people break out of their trance and walk home, and Mindworm's like, wait, no, I need you people. Come back, come back. And that's the last time we see him in the Conway run, except for as, like, a floating, you know, head whenever Spider-Man imagines his villains. Like, there's an issue where another Mysterio sends Spider-Man's villains after him, and Mindworm's in there as an illusion. And in some of the annuals and backups, Mindworm is featured as, like, a character profile. We see him again in Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man 35, where he basically tries to get revenge on Spider-Man. Somehow his powers are back, and he tells us via exposition that uh, he decide he he basically like was so mad about his powers being gone that he willed them to come back, and he enters Spider-Man's dreams to try and like get revenge on him. Huh. And he like turns into Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Remember that like little brain thing? Yeah. And Spider-Man basically says, like, you don't have to do this. You don't have to be alone. People love you. And it's almost like a Jam Dematis story before there was a Jam Dematis story. So he's like, okay, Spider-Man, you know, I'll be good now. And then he forms a friendship with his, like, nurse slash psychiatrist. And that should have been where his story ended. It was a good ending. But for some reason, in Tangled Web number six in the thousands, they had him as a henchman for the Rhino. Didn't really do anything. And then this is the weird thing. His last official appearance, aside from other continuity stuff like Spider-Girl, 
was in Paul Jenkins' Spectacular Spider-Man, Volume yep. 3, uh, Issue he's, 22. and He's homeless, right? He's homeless, and Spider-Man's like, Mindworm, I remember him, and he proceeds to have flashbacks about Mindworm that <laughs> are not actual flashbacks about Mindworm. Like, Mindworm is robbing banks, holding, like, money bags, and <laughs> he's like, he has powers that he never had before, and, like, Mindworm never robbed banks. His MO was that he was lonely and he was a psychic vampire. So Spider-Man's, like, remembering this and the whole issue. It's very, very late Paul Jenkins, and this is... I love the beginning of Paul Jenkins' run. I don't like the end. This was an issue of Peter seeing homeless Mindworm, and then talking to Aunt May and Mary Jane. It's all my fault. I just punch my villains. But I never think about what happens to them after I punch them, which is a Spider-Man story that's been told 30 times, like what happens to the crook after they get webbed up. And then Peter wonders what to do about Homeless Mindworm, and at the end, a bunch of people are fighting him, and uh, one of them, the panel is really confusing. Either Mindworm dies yeah. from a psychic explosion, or he gets shot or stabbed, but either way, he dies, and that's the end of Mindworm, aside from other continuity stuff like Spider-Girl, where he went to work for um, the Hobgoblin. Mm. reason why I chose Mindworm as obscure character, it, I think it was on CBR or something, or Twitter, Jerry Conway made a post saying that Marvel offered him royalties on the, on Mindworm because basically um, up until a certain point, I think Jim Shooter started doing this in the 80s for Marvel, um, you didn't get royalties for the characters that you created, but now Marvel will offer you back royalties or something for some characters, and they offered it to Conway for Mindworm. Now, who can tell me why this was a big middle finger? Oh, I know why, because of uh, other characters on Marvel movies. So I think it was Chuck Dixon. He he replied to the post saying, "Oh yes, yes, I really enjoyed the series Mindworm War Journal." (laughs) (laughs) So Conway has never seen a cent out of the Punisher and all the other Punisher stuff from Marvel, and they offer him Mindworm. And uh, at the time when this was posted on CBR or something, people were like, people jumped on this, like they're offering him Mindworm. Dang. So that's that's why he's the obscure character for the month. But he actually has a name and an eye color, and you know, yeah. wow, yeah, his name is uh, William Turner. Yeah, another William, created by Jerry Conway and Ross Andrew back in 1974. Mm-hmm. Uh, horrible villain, I think. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's like Spider-Man's leader. Well, uh, from the Hulk. His powers were, like, very inconsistent. Like, he could control people's minds, but he could also enter their dreams and make them see illusions, and it was very inconsistent with each use, which is one reason why. And he filled the role that other villains basically filled. And to be quite honest, um, after the Lee Ramita run, not a lot of new villains stuck around that weren't named Venom, Carnage, and Hobgoblin. <laughs> very true. Or And Jackal. Yeah, yeah that's Morbius. true. And, well, yeah, Morbius. Uh, <laughs> any other final thoughts? Anybody have a favorite Mindworm issue, or do we all hate Mindworm? I think uh, that Jenkins issue where he was homeless is the only one that I've ever even read. Yeah, I've honestly only read him in Spider-Girl, and I didn't even like him in that. <laughs> I, like the, I like the subplot of Peter and Flash talking in the, on the couch more than the actual issue of him being in Mindworm. <laughs> yeah, that, that, right, that was well, a big turning point in their relationship. For Tony, what are we doing next month? Or have you picked out anything yet? See, that's the thing. Everyone's like, oh, man, Bill in-law. That's, like, so great. So now, like, I'm feeling this pressure to pick, like, something at the... Oh, no, no, this was good. I like, I like mine, Worm. Um, who are we Just doing next month? Let's see. Um, 
I'll sit oh, yeah. on that and decide if it ties into a current event or something. Like if Dan Slott brings back like you know another one of Peter's old obscure neighbors, we might do that. It's, well, we had who who did who came back in six ninety five this month? Um, six ninety five. Sally. Sally. Not Sally. No, the reporter. Oh, well, uh, Sally. She's not obscure. She was like um she was in those issues from like uh after Civil, Civil War. War. She's the one who told Captain America, "Why don't you have a MySpace?" <laughs> oh, what, what's this reporter's name again? Sally Floyd. Sally Floyd. She's, yeah, Sally Floyd. Yeah, if she was the star of her, own, I don't know. I guess I guess it depends on what you consider an obscure character. Like, if they were the star of their own series less than ten years ago, I don't know if I consider them obscure. But wasn't she, in the in one of the backup stories to the 50th anniversary? Didn't he like run into his? old neighbors who were, like, twins and had this, like, Bambi and Randy or some crap. Candy, Bambi, Randy, I love those I didn't story, read yeah. that back up, but he ran into one of them in the Grady Scraps two-part uh, time travel story for, like, one panel. But, yeah. Ooh, that uh, might have been it, because I read that just recently. That's probably what I'm thinking of. Candy, Bandi, Bambi, and Randy. Randy, Randy Candy, Randy, Candy, and Bambi. And one of them had, like, a son that, like, they were yeah. trying to keep a secret from Peter for some reason, and, uh... One of them was the niece of Miss Muggins. I remember they always used to tan topless on the top of Spider-Man's building, and he couldn't sneak into his skylight without uh, – had to wait for them to stop tanning. I remember What that. a predicament. He had to, like, scare them away different ways, like web bats oh, spider- or, like – Web bats, yeah. And yeah. there's one issue where he's with Felicia, and, and he's like, oh, man, I never figured out how to solve this problem. And Felicia's like, oh, please, that's easy. And then, like, Felicia screams, hey, girls, Spider-Man's staring at you sunbathing. And they run away, like, all freaked out. <laughs> like Peeping Tom. Peeping Spider. All right, Bertone, good job. And uh, we also have another new segment this month. Uh, Kevin is going to review the satellite Spider-Man titles, such as Ultimate, Venom, Scarlet, and uh, Scarlet Spider, and Avenging Spider-Man. And are we calling it Spider Satellites, or what do we call in the segment, Kevin? That works for me. Or hey, listeners, what do you think it should be called? Tell us on a really positive <laughs> five-star iTunes review. <laughs> Spider Satellites, because we've actually this stemmed. From the iTunes review, some people, several people were like, "Why don't you ever talk about uh, Miles Morales? Why don't you ever talk about about Venom, etc.?" So uh, this will address that. So Kevin, what do you want to start with? How do you want to do it? Well, I uh, I'm just going to run down the issues that came out last month in order of when they came out. Uh, okay. There were six last month because there are four satellite titles, but Ultimate Spider-Man came out twice, and Spider-Man issue number five also came out. So okay. I'm just going to run down basically some uh, some quick summaries and some grades if that works for you, my man. This works. All right, well, we're going to start with Ultimate Spider-Man number 14 was the first one that came out last month, in which basically Captain America tells Miles he can't be Spider-Man, Gwen calls Cap a lot of names, Aunt May gives Miles web shooters, Miles helps Cap take down the <laughs> Rhino, and Cap all of a sudden changes his mind. So, actually a decent issue, even though I joke, I give it a grade of an A. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, even though we haven't really talked about it on this podcast much, is usually a very solid title. Brian Bendis has been doing a great job on it, and Miles Morales has been a really solid character. I'm probably actually going to write my next editorial about Miles Morales and the Ultimate comics, so stay tuned. The art, the artwork on Ultimate is awesome. Yeah, yeah, they've been doing a really good job. Uh, the first artist, Sarah Pacelli, was great, and then she went over to Spider-Man, and now we've got somebody whose name I can't remember, who's also really yeah. good. Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they, 
I don't, oh, I, I don't remember. Well, I, have, I can pull up real quick, but it might yeah. be 10 seconds. Go for that. By the time I get if to the I, next Ultimate issue, we'll, <laughs> you'll be there. Also, in that issue, I think uh, they had an homage to Uncanny X-Men 143, where Kitty Pride calls Professor X a jerk. You have Gwen Stacy saying, Captain America, you're a jerk. Yeah, something like that. I'm not, I'm not sure I really registered it as an homage, but yeah, Gwen was just laying yeah. into the sumbitch. David yeah. Marquez <laughs> is the artist. David Marquez, there, yeah. Yeah, he's doing great. Um, so next up, we've got Scarlet Spider number nine. Uh, I won't go into too much detail, especially because you can read my Scarlet Spider reviews on the main page every <laughs> month. Um, but this issue, Kane and the Rangers take down Mamon. Kane refuses membership in the Rangers, and crazy girl Zoe vows vengeance against Kane because her father's in a coma. Uh, give this issue a grade of an A. Uh, it was a really good arc, surprisingly, because it was mostly standard superhero fare uh, with a Texas team called the Frickin' Rangers. And yet, it was good. So, yeah. good for them. Uh, I won't be as kind to Minimum Carnage next month, but stay tuned. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um... I love the uh, several things. I'm going to kill Peter Parker. I'm going to kill Peter Parker is what Kane kept saying. Yeah. I got to be a hero. I got responsibility, etc. I thought Scarlet Spider's been a very solid book. I thought. Yeah, and I, I, I enjoy his attitude. Like, Kane. Yeah, the first time was, somebody called him Scarlet Spider, uh, I think he just hit like he he pows his head and it's tiny lettering saying "I'm in hell." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it's a fun attitude for a supposed hero, and I think he's written really really well. Yep. Uh, next, we had Avenging Spider-Man number 12. Uh, I actually had not read Avenging Spider-Man the time we recorded the last podcast, but even though there's not really any continuity to it, I went ahead and got all the back issues and uh. read the whole thing. And I actually quite enjoy it, honestly. Really? I've heard bad things, but it's it's mostly just a fun title. It's got no you know real continuity or anything to it, but it's it's mostly been a good time. Maybe I'm just dying for some good Spider-Man right now, but I I kind of dug it. What of the avenging ones did you like? Uh, actually, I, I, I thought the I thought the cap one was good, and the the first three were okay. Yeah, the first three were decent. Um, I thought I thought Cap was pretty good. I didn't think Hawkeye was bad. Um, I actually liked them all, to tell you the truth. I I loathe the Deadpool oh, the, one. The, even the Silver the, Sable one. Uh, uh, the Silver Sable one wasn't that good. I'll give you that. The, I I could not stand the avenging Spider-Man. The only the, the issue that you're about to talk about. The only good thing was the 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 spider hams swinging yeah, around. Yeah, well, let me run it down, and then we'll talk right. about it. Yeah, the, yeah. the thing that's <laughs> funny is, like, when this was first announced, Kevin was, like, saying on the board, I don't want to review this on the podcast. Please don't let me review this on the podcast, Brad. <laughs> and Wacker was like, if Kevin doesn't want to read this on the podcast, he shouldn't be on the podcast. And here we are one year later. And it's mine. Avenging Spider-Man number 12 Deadpool somehow gets into Spider-Man's mind and plays Inception to trick Spider-Man into helping him bust the hypno-hustler out of jail and I swear to god that's the plot (laughs) it's to be continued seriously Uh, it's crazy as hell but it's pretty damn funny and I I don't know it includes a lot of little touches like uh, Morbius in the background wearing a Team Morbius shirt I knew you would love that. I, want, I knew you would love that. <laughs> uh, the high school sign out front, like for a football game announcement, says Sunday four to seven, Battle of the Clones. And <laughs> you know, as you mentioned, you get Spider Ham swinging around with Scarlet Spider Ham and Venom Ham. I mean, it's, yeah. it's crazy, but it's and it's stupid. It is stupid, but it's yes. the Deadpool team up, and I thought it was pretty funny. I give it a B plus. I give it an F U. <laughs> 
Well, I really hated it. I really hated it. But go ahead. We're about to get to Venom, so uh, <laughs> we're going to... Hold it. Here, here comes some prison ass. Go ahead. Venom number 25. Uh, Flash beats the monsters of evil by realizing he can control the demons possessing them, which is the exact same realization he had in part one. Uh, but in the end, he neither exercises the demons from the monsters nor from himself. Hellstrom ends up in prison with a crazy villain monologue that proves he's never read his own comics. Great <laughs> on this one is prison ass. <laughs> Chris, do you agree with that grade? No, I don't agree that it's prison ass, but I don't disagree with any of the specific points Kevin raises about it. Yeah, because it was bad. <laughs> well, you know, I reviewed it as two out of five. That's not prison ass, but that's not a positive grade, right? That's a D. That's a D. Something negative. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if if I'm giving it an actual letter grade, it's an F minus. This is an actual letter grade. <laughs> Isn't that well, I mean, leading up to that that storyline, I think Venom's been solid. I think Remender did a good job. He did. Uh, but but uh, I didn't care for the the Vegas arc that he's referencing in this story. Actually, I'm trying. I'm catching up on Venom and back issues right now. Um, I've read now the first arc and the Spider Island arc. I need to catch up on the rest of it still. Um, I, yeah, the older stuff is definitely better than this. I, this was a weird concept for an arc, and it just was not handled well. And I don't know what this writer has against uh, Hellstorm, but it's kind of pissing me off. And and Chris, if I remember correctly, you didn't really care for the the Vegas arc either, did you? Um, compared to this is the first arc that Colin Bunn has written by himself. He was a co-writer yeah. before this, and actually the arc before this ha- was like where you started getting stuff like Bill in Law and and stuff like that. So like it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't awesome either. But um, but this one, I don't know. I thought for the most part it was mediocre, but I could sort of get into my like you know this is sort of '90s style symbiotes and demons like in the 90s series venom was always going up against demo goblin and stuff like that and meeting up with ghost rider and it just seemed to like maybe try to tap into that vein and i could sort of roll with it and i don't really i haven't really read that many comics with hellstrom in in them so i don't have a great sense of how his character should be written so i could go along with it but by part three i'm like you know this these characters aren't acting like how they should even i i can tell that so mm-hmm. you know i i didn't yeah. like in i didn't like in part three there was this scene where for some reason flash is trying to think of a happy thought and he can't think of one and i was thinking you know Spider- oh yeah spider-man's the the thing that motivates him right and inspires him so he should have mentioned that um it would seem a little his bit wonderful a times mission. with his brother-in-law yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what else we got, Kevin? There's still more spider satellites out there. Yep, moving on, we got Spider-Man number five, the wrap-up yeah. to the big miniseries where Peter Parker meets Miles Morales. Uh, this one, Mysterio stupidly reopens the portal to the Ultimate Universe because he just can't stand not knowing what happens, and is yanked through by webbing, then promptly gets pounded by both Spider-Men. Surprisingly, uh, our Mysterio stays in the Ultimate Universe in the custody of the Ultimates because he knows Peter's identity. Wasn't expecting that. Uh, after yeah. Peter gets home to the Marvel Universe, he Googles the name Miles Morales, says, oh my god, and the series ends. Um, mm-hmm. I, give it a, I give this issue a C, 
because as much as I thought it was a really good miniseries overall, I thought it was a very anticlimactic end, even with the Mysterio trade, because just not a whole lot happened with the Spider-Men themselves, and we don't know where it's going to be continued, which is frustrating, and it just kind of, I don't know, the issue didn't seem to have a whole lot to it. The, um, <clears throat> I forget who posted it, but... Cullen Bunn, who we just talked about, wrote Spider-Man Season 1. Yeah, I was going to mention that, because I, I recently read, yeah. read that. And uh, uh, he rescues, I guess, in his first couple days, a little kid wearing the words Morales on the back jacket. And gives him back to his mom. So I don't know if that was intentional, or that was just a little Is he African-American? Mm-hmm. Yep. And his <clears throat> Well, I can't tell that. I just, he looks well, like Well, was Miles he eating Morales. a taco? <laughs> no, oh, we, we we just lost some subscribers, <laughs> and it's all your fault. Oh my lord! The anyway, that's his mom. That was Hispanic. I I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. Um, but yeah, I don't think that's the same thing because I doubt Cullen Bunn doing a season one trade paperback was really coordinating with Brian Bendis doing the big crossover. But I could what be do you wrong. Any guesses of what Miles Morales is in the 616 universe? I don't think there's any way to guess. He could be anything. It's, you know, he Googles, it's Miles Morales, and it's, oh my god. Now, the suggestion would be he knows him, except he doesn't. So, (laughs) there's no way to call it. My question is, you know, they said that this miniseries was going to have major ramifications for both universes, and yet it hasn't been referenced in either at all. Amazing Spider-Man's going through its whole run-up to 700 and then ending thing, and this was written by Brian Bendis, who's the ultimate guy, so I can't imagine when this is going to play into Amazing Spider-Man. And then even Ultimate Spider-Man, which again, written by the same guy, the timelines don't match, which is really frustrating, because Brian Bendis wrote both Ultimate Spider-Man and Spider-Man, and yet apparently he met Aunt May and Gwen two different times. If 700 has something to do with Spider-Man, I'll, I'll be really, really interested. But I don't know how it can. I'd be surprised, but I'd be gratified. <laughs> I'd be surprised, too. Maybe they switch so, universes. We have one more issue left. Okay, what do we got? That is Ultimate Spider-Man number 15, second issue for the month. Uh, in this one, Miles finds out from Detective Maria Hill, interesting little shout-out there, that he didn't kill his uncle. Uh, shoddy equipment did. Miles' school is closed for the foreseeable future because the Ultimate Universe is falling apart, if you've been reading the Divided We Fall crossover. Uh, so Miles has time to go tell Captain America that he wants to join the Ultimates. I guess it's going to be plus. It was all good. It was good reading, but it was rather uneventful. That summary pretty much told you everything that happened in the issue. You know the biggest thing about that ending, though? It ended just the same way that the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon first episode ended, with him going up to the helicarrier saying, I want to join the Avengers. Huh. I haven't <laughs> seen the cartoon. That... That's true, yeah. Wow. All right. That's a lot of spider titles. Yeah, ultimately, you know, pretty good month for the Spider-Man satellites, except for Venom. Everything else got mostly Bs. Spider-Man was a C, but it was still a good issue. Did the rest of you buy those titles, besides me and Kev? I get get Ultimate Spider-Man. I think Chris gets Venom. I get Josh gets nothing. I don't know. I, Venom. I, I get I get uh, Venom and now I get Scarlet Spider. Mm-hmm. I get Venom. Look at she's in the issue, then throw it across the room. 
Bertoni, do you get anything else? Do you get Scarlet or you get Ultimate or anything like that? I get I get Scarlet sometimes, but to be honest, like I only read them when I'm doing the uh, Clone Saga podcast with Zach, and and I enjoy it when I read it. But for some reason, like in between recording the podcast, I don't look at it. <laughs> yeah, did you drop Bertoni? Did you drop uh, Venom? Um, I look at them and like it's. I feel really bad saying this because I met Colin Bunn in San Diego. He was a nice guy, and he read my articles, but it's like I'm not enjoying it as much. <laughs> it's like... Distinct lack of Betty. That, that, that's part of it, too, but among among other things, like, you know, Flash Thompson's an interesting character to use, and I don't think that Flash Thompson should be fighting demons and vampires. The guy that... Oh, go ahead. I would say, even if he is, you can at least make it make sense, and if you're going to use an established character, use the established version, and the Monsters of Evil is just, the fact that it came out of a character's mouth, that he's calling a group the Monsters of Evil, is just one of the things I've heard. <laughs> uh, I, I've, yet to, I've yet to see anything happen in this, um, this three-part Cullen Bunn arc that we've just gone through, his opening arc, that, that, um, you would need it to be Flash Thompson rather than any random character in the suit to to be mm-hmm. like, yeah. what about this story that makes it like intrinsic to Flash Thompson? If it was if it was Joe from the street, how would the story be different? I can't think of a way it would be. Whereas the early Remender stuff was very, very centric on Flash Thompson and his inner demons and struggles. Yeah, I agree. I agree. What are you saying, Kev? I was saying that this story feels like a bad Eddie Brock 90s Venom story, and Chris is right. You could just still have Eddie Brock in there, and it could be the 90s, and we could tell the same damn story. Okay, we're tackling uh, reviews now. Bertoni, you've got 693, which uh, has the same cover as 692, only with an alpha movie poster on the cover. He faked it for us. Tell me about about this one. What happened? Well, uh, Peter, this is after the last issue where they fight uh, the villain from the cover, Fantastic Four number one, and Peter asks to go to Subterranea with the Fantastic Four, and Reed says, no, you have to babysit Alpha, a job that's too good for us. But, you know, even though he has to babysit Alpha, Alpha's not there. He's gone off, you know, the, I guess, you know, be with cheerleaders and supermodels and stuff. So Peter goes to see a supermodel himself. He goes to MJ's bar to talk to MJ and she's sitting behind the bar like a bartender and, you know, giving him advice. And then he's like, wait a second, that's it. I just realized something. I must leave in the middle of our talk. Alpha doesn't wear a mask. Of course, it's taken me weeks to realize this. So at Alpha Manor, which isn't really a manor, but I'm calling it Alpha Manor, Andy's girlfriend catches him in bed with another girl. Can this be any more awkward? Well, yes, it is because Professor Warren shows up with a little clone of the queen and uh, they kidnap Andy, his cheerleader girlfriend and his parents. And then a random douche from Brand New Day tells Peter that it's all his fault. (laughs) I'm not kidding. A random douche from Brand New Day tells Peter that it's all his fault. The next day, Peter goes around Horizon Labs grabbing everyone and screaming, It's all my fault. It's all my fault. Hello, Aunt May. It's all my fault. So he and Max Modell go... Frankie Collins, who is a paparazzi from Amazing 560, who we haven't seen, wow, since 560. (laughs) 693. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so he and Max Modell build some science together. Peter says, Max, I'm going to quit Horizon Labs. Max says, no, you're not. And Peter says, okay. 
So, you know, with that resounding pep talk from Max Modell, he goes to save Andy from the Jackal, who melts twice. Um, I'm not kidding. Uh, Jackal gets away, like, you know, the fight another day. Andy doesn't learn his lesson. He's like, wow, this has taught me a very important lesson. And Peter's like, yes, yes, I'm going to emancipate myself from my parents and become a bigger douche. No! So we end with um, Mary Jane and Horizon Labs saying, hey, Peter, what are you building? And then he says, I'm going to quote Stanley's iconic Amazing Spider-Man number 50 issues. Alpha, no more. Yeah. So that's what happened this issue. Pros and the cons. Um here, actually, we'll do pros around. What's what's uh, your grade on it? Oh, what's my grade? <laughs> yeah, what's your what's my grade? Oh, this gets an F <laughs> for reasons <laughs> for that will what? become abundantly clear when we get to cons. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. Pros in the issue. Did you have any? No, I was going to save my time for two cons. Okay. Same. <laughs> okay. um, Tony, did you have any pros? I'm trying to think. I, I mean, have pros, but I, I thought the way our format was was that the main reviewer would give all of their um, opinions, and then we would go around. Oh, okay. It's, That's fine. Because I just – I, I want to – actually, before – because I do have pros, but I want to hear uh, what's what, what makes this issue F-worthy before I respond. Okay. What makes this issue as F-worthy? Okay, let's start. First of all – Andy's been world famous for, I guess it's been a matter of weeks at this point, enough that there's merchandise and that there's this ad campaign going on, yet his family is still in this house with no security where anyone can randomly walk in from, you know, that geeky girl. And uh, when Professor Warren knocks on the door like, hello, we want to meet Andy McGuire, which apparently if he's that world famous, everyone should be doing that day and night. But the next panel, like Professor Warren is inside the house, like he was in the doorway He's, like, in the middle of, um, not the living room, but I guess, like, you know, the main room, like, before you go up the stairs. So, it's, these people know nothing about me and world famous. Okay, the Max Modell scene. This is one of my biggest problems with the issue and one of my biggest problems with Dan Slott. That scene had, like, it hit a story beat, but there was no emotional, like, weight behind it. It was Peter saying, hey, Max, I want to quit. Max saying, with little effort to convince Peter, no, you don't, Peter. It's not your fault. You don't want to quit. Peter easily went over and says, okay. Now, when I first read this issue, I took a deep breath. That scene really annoyed me because it was just these characters going through the motions for something that was supposed to be a big deal. And I was telling myself, Slot is trying to make this guy like Captain Stacy or Uncle Ben or, you know, he's like trying to write another role model for Peter. And instead of having him be a role model for Peter, he's having him being in scenes where we're supposed to say, oh, look at that. He's just like Captain Stacy or Uncle Ben the Peter. And then I calmed down. I was like, okay. This is what everyone accuses us of doing all the time. I'm reading too much in the what's lots doing. That's not what he's trying to do. Stop it. Read the book without the baggage. So then I turn the page. And Peter <laughs> is swinging, saying, wow, Max Modell is a great role model for me, just like Uncle Ben, just like Captain <laughs> Stacy. And then their big floating heads are in the mm, sky. Yeah. So instead of the reader coming to the conclusion <clears throat> on their own, and like, you know, like what readers are supposed to do, we have Peter tell us how we're supposed to feel about it. That annoys yeah. The jackal, ha ha ha, you punched me, but I melted because I'm a clone. The clone degeneration, this is like clone degeneration, all the bad stuff about the clone saga, taken up to 11. And then he comes out of a corner like, ha ha, I wasn't the real, ja- I'm not the real jackal either. 
And then, like, mm. he randomly, like, self-destruct, melts his clones, and it's just all the worst stuff of the Clone Saga taken up to 11. Remember when I said Peter telling us how we're supposed to feel? I mean, or excuse me, Slot telling us how we're supposed to feel? Well, okay, we got typing in the window. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> okay. Okay, anyway, yeah. When Jackal says he's going to clone Andy McGuire, this is how we know that it's bad, because Peter tells us it's bad by saying, this is like cloning Dark Phoenix, Beyonder, or Molecule Man, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. instead of demonstrating how powerful Alpha is, instead of, like, making the readers be worried about Alpha's power levels by, I don't know, showing us or telling us in a certain way, we're having Peter compare him to three very, very overpowerful characters which is like what i said during the last podcast it's like eight-year-olds playing on a playground like my guy's more powerful than darth vader and shredder and uh dr octopus and if you shoot him 50 yeah. times he won't die having slots claim that this character who's only appeared for two issues is more powerful than dark phoenix beyonder and molecule man and name them <laughs> by name and not show it now. yeah yeah, not showing how powerful Andy is, saying, oh, no, this is like – that was like parody writing. Then we had more exploding clones. This was the, some of the worst examples of Slot ever. And then a minor – more minor quibble than anything else. Mary Jane shows up to Horizon Labs, and everyone's like, oh, my God, Mary Jane's here. This is so awesome. She visited Peter at Horizon Labs at the beginning of the run. And <laughs> it's – but this is exclusively a slop. First of all, you could say that those people didn't see her when she was there or something, but – there's issues where, like, Mary Jane is world famous, and then there's issues where, like, nobody notices her, and then paparazzi's following her around, and that's been a problem, like, for years, not exclusive to the sloth, but, like, oh my gosh, Mary Jane at Horizon Labs. Isn't Max Modell supposed to be, like, Bill Gates famous? Yeah. Yeah. Is, did you have any pros? <sighs> I don't think you did. <laughs> Does it is sound it like you did? I was right, which is a very, very arrogant thing to say, but okay, it's it's pros that because I was like, wow, Slot's trying to tell us that he's like Uncle Ben and Captain Stacy, and then I turned the page, and that's exactly what Slot was trying to do. Right. Yeah. So yeah, and 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 that's the worst thing ever when you have an outrageous like theory about a creator going so off the walls. Tell yourself that you're wrong, and you turn the page, and your theory is confirmed. That is, that was. I couldn't believe it. I almost screamed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go around the bin. We'll do pros from everybody, then cons from everybody, and then a grade from everybody. <laughs> the only if the only pro we may be challenged to find a pro, but I had one pro, which was the Mary Jane Barr scene where she talked about uh you're quote, you're not who you are because your Uncle Ben died, you're who you are because your Uncle Ben lived. I thought that was a great line. I thought that was a pro. Uh -huh. Anybody else have pros? I have pros. I, okay. I like Hit this it. issue. I, I, I think I might be the only one. Um, but, you know, to respond to what Josh was saying, you know, I guess his main point was that a lot of times in this story we're being told how to feel instead of, showing not telling and yeah dan slot is probably the least subtle writer in comics that i can think of who is least on amazing spider-man i mean he is the guy who's going to tell you every thought in spider-man's head as if he's shouting it and make everything extremely obvious for you but like to give an f based on that i, I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. To me, I guess just I wouldn't weight it so much. It just seems like the kind of thing that would knock it a letter grade or so. But 
you know, overall, I thought this was an, uh, this was a fine issue. Like, you know, it's I, I like how how this introduce issue introduces and resolves the conflict with the jackal while still moving the alpha storyline forward. It makes the comic read like it stands on its own and as a complete story, but it's still part of a larger arc uh, because we get like this full jackal story, but it's we've got the bigger alpha story going along too and it just seemed like you know i was getting a part and a full story it kind of felt satisfying um i didn't mind the jackal i don't need him necessarily to be like a a big top tier villain who's gonna show up and change spider-man's life every single time you know if he's just gonna be like a goofy like making dumb jokes clone gimmick villain i, I think that's a fine role for him and i didn't really get bothered by it so you know i i I don't really have that many problems with this issue other than, you know, I don't like Ramos's art and I don't disagree with Josh. I just don't think it was that big of a deal, I guess. Any other pros? Kev, you got any pros on this one? You said you have, you have two cons. Yeah. One pro. Yeah, yeah, I, Don, I tried, but this is just... Mm-mm. Yeah. Don, any pros? No. Chris, Chris and I are the only one that have pros. Okay, cons. Cons, let's go around. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kevin, let me hear your two cons. Well, I mean, just in general, Slot, Ramos, the Jackal, and Spider-Monster clones are present, which means one of my least favorite Spider-Man stories of all time has come back to haunt me in full force. Spider-Island, I was really hoping we were past that, but this just made me feel like I was reading another part of Spider Island, which, yeah, that's the worst thing you could possibly do for Hashtag. me. Hashtag. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> this is more just funny to me. When uh, the Jackal is ranting about repopulating the Earth with alpha male clones that are blonde-haired and blue-eyed white boys, oh. did anybody else think that we all of a sudden turned into Nazi Jackal? Mm. Pretty sure that was Hitler's plan. Yeah. That's an unfortunate coincidence. <laughs> Very unfortunate. <laughs> yes, having Hitler's exact same plan is a terrible coincidence. Hitler's plan, that's true, wow. Yeah, but that's yeah. like the, that that's like become the Jackal's MO as like a spoof. Like if like there was a squirrel, he'd be like, Aha, I'll I'll repopulate the world with squirrel clones. That'd be nuts. <laughs> Oh, jeez. This guy. This that was quick, Brad. Set it up. Maybe I'll knock it out. Smack <laughs> you across the head. Uh, oh, go ahead, Kev. What's your other one? It reminds you of Hitler, and what else? And, and it reminds me of Spider Island. I'm not sure which one. Spider Island, I got you. Uh, Don, cons? All of them. Uh, first and foremost, the Mary Jane scene because I want to hurt your feelings, Brad Douglas. No, <laughs> you didn't like that one. Well, this is the, this is my problem, and I put it in the review. Like, it's not so much that the scene was badly written, but every time Mary Jane appears, she's like Obi Wan Kenobi giving Peter like you know advice, saying "Go get him, Tiger," and like that was fine for the first like eighteen months. I'm kind of tired of Mary Jane being you know the only well written character in the entire book to the point where if all she's going to do is give him advice, then I think that they need to. I mean, I know that's like, you know, oh, well, it's nice because it's just like when they were married. But, like, th- that's just really grown tired for me. It's like a cliche, it's like a cliche in and of itself. You, you think Peter should have said that to himself, that 
he he is who he is because Uncle Ben uh, lived. You know that would have been nice. I don't. Peter's like yeah. he's so he's written so childishly that like people need to tell him how to how to act and how to respond. So like I would yeah. rather him figure that out rather than Mary Jane tell him. To be honest, I mean Eric Lexi, who writes better reviews than I do, point out that Peter says, "Can you have you ever met anyone more self centered than me?" And that's just completely nonsensical. And the fact that Mary Jane says, "No, you're a great guy," it's like. What did Chris call a couple of minutes ago? Like this pointless whining going through the motions. It's like Slot mm-hmm. wants to make Slot wants to have the whole it's all my fault Peter Parker in the book, but one, it doesn't earn itself. Two, it's repetitious to the point of being unsufferable. And three, like none of this is his fault because it's freaking Reed Richards and Max Modell's fault. And like every page, Peter screams that, and I don't like that. Yeah. Um. Uh. Just 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 general stuff. I mean, like just. Andy McGuire is still incredibly annoying. That was that was really my main thing, though. Just like the whole Peter all my fault thing, to the point where he like you know he teleports into the Horizon Lab saying, "Not so fast, Gloria Grant. It's all my fault." And like just running around saying, "It's all my fault." Uh, Alpha need to you know take responsibility with their powers because it's all my fault. And it's just that just f. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, do you uh, have any cons? Uh, I really do not like Humberto Ramos's art style, and I know that's at this point on this podcast, it's not an original complaint. Um, but, but you it's know, still people, there. yeah, it it doesn't stop sucking just because we say it does enough times. <laughs> Although, you know, I, a, some of you, the people on this panel have said that he has gotten better, but I'm just yeah. not seeing it. You know, everything's too exaggerated. The bodies are contorted oddly. You know, I, I was talking to Don on um, Skype a couple of weeks ago or days ago, and I was saying um, that Ramos is actually the perfect artistic pairing with Dan Slot, by which I mean they suck in the same way in that they're both like overemphasizing every single thing they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I look at, uh, Humberto Ramos and I read Dan Slott's dialogue and it's like the, the comic book equivalent of experiencing a severe manic episode. And I believe Spider-Man should not always, you know, he's a bouncy character. He makes jokes sometimes, but I don't think that's the note we always have to be dialed to on every page and every issue. So, you know, that's uh, basically the, the... If you look at 10 years ago, I think Ramos is better than he was 10 years ago. With that, well, we talked about last month in the podcast about that Goblin arc. Well, actually, as Maybe. somebody that uh, is one of those people Chris is talking about who said yeah, me too. Ramos had gotten better, I think he had gotten a lot better around the big-time rebranding, and I was really liking his stuff a lot more. But I think this more recent stuff seems like it's... I don't know, maybe it's rushed, but it's not looking as good as the big-time relaunch was to me at all. I think the bi-monthly schedule is like kind of like hampering his art, because I, I like Ramos genuinely, and I think that like his art in the last couple of months has not been as good as he can be. I agree. Okay. Uh, con for me is what the same one Bertoni hit up about the, the uh, Max Modell and the Sky Full of Guilt. Uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of like Slot saying, you know what? I want my character to be up there with the big guys, the Uncle Ben's, the oh who else is in that that Captain that, Stacy, uh, Captain Stacy, etc. 
And and I don't think Max Modell's earned that yet. No. Well, but we're and told that he is. We're told that he is, but he ha- as as a reader, we uh, who do we got? Uncle Ben, Aunt May, Captain Stacy, and Max Modell. This is like that Sesame Street game. Which of these things doesn't belong? You know, it's it's come on. Well, it's kind of been a hallmark of this whole run for a long time now that one of the main tenets of writing is show don't tell. And in this whole run, we've gotten tell instead of show. It's the same thing with Carly Cooper, and everybody's got to say she's the greatest girl in the world for Peter Parker, yeah. but we don't see why. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's why this run sucks. And we have um, we have more issues put out. Give us examples. <laughs> Which makes it even worse. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just like I mean I I, I don't want to go on, but Spider Man ASM feels like such a cartoon that like when you're given this stuff twice a week, it just hits harder. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, great. Let's go around the bin. Uh, Bertoni, you gave it an F, right? You need to add Bertoni. Yeah, Bertoni's because... been gone for a while. Oh. <laughs> 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 oh, he'll love that when he listens back to it. I've been multitasking. All right. Can I add Bertoni? Okay. Uh Chris, what was your grade? I'll give it a uh I'll give it a B. Um you know, I, I was entertained by the story and I don't disagree with any of all your points, but I don't think they're really F points, at least not for me. So Jock, yours was an F, right? Mine was an F, and it's just lines like, oh, my God, that's like cloning Dark Phoenix, The Beyonder, and Molecule Man. At the page, coming pages after, wow, Max Modell is a role model, just like Uncle Ben and Captain Stacy. Both of those things are just so over the top and unforgivable for me in the same issue. Yeah. Don, what was your grade? What do you think? <laughs> F, F as in fail. You are correct, sir. It was, it's an F. And mine would be a D as in damn. All right. Are you uh, kidding? I'm the only like well. non F or D. No, no, I I really disliked it a lot too. Well, what were your reasons? Uh, like like uh, Bertoni said about and Kevin hit up the the tell, don't and not showing and I I think I, I I'm not a writer but I I think you can introduce a character that everybody hates, and that's definitely what Alpha is, and so much of the book is dedicated to the character we hate as opposed to the character we love which is Spider-Man. And wh- what how would you come how are you supposed to come out of this book without hating it? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what Spider-Man do in this book that says, "You know what? That's a really good story." He's going to de- 70- depower his ass at the end of this story. I'm like, oh. "Yeah, damn right you can take upon yourself that that uh task cuz mm-hmm. this guy is an asshole and you should take him out." Kevin is that good, right? Yeah. Yeah, I just I just didn't care for it. Don't like Alpha. I'm not supposed to like Alpha. Despite <laughs> but, what they promoted. Exactly. All right, oh, 694. Kevin wants oh, to give his grade. Oh, Kevin. You, you oh. care, Brad, any, at all? <laughs> well, I, let me guess what it is. F, F is in what? Uh, actually, I'd give it a D-. minus. Oh, I, I didn't think it was quite an F, but it was it was pretty freaking close. D as in what? Uh, d- dog poo? Because I don't think that's the worst word. The doy? The doy. Oh, yeah. The doy. Yeah, there you go. There you Here, go. Let's make, that a, let's make that a new bit. Every The F and the Ds have to be something. Or, uh, and the A's and the Ds. How can you make work. that rule when you just told me you don't want me to drop as many F-bombs on the podcast? <laughs> what exactly. am I supposed to do, Grant? 
uh, F is in frack. I mean, you can do <laughs> <laughs> You can get creative. You're a writer, sir. <laughs> Uh, 694, again, we're wrapping up the Alpha storyline, and we have an homage to the Marvel-DC team-up of Superman Spider-Man. This time, Alpha is Superman. Insulting. <laughs> Let's see, who's got this one? This was mine. Hit it, buddy. Okay, this issue sucks. That's uh, <laughs> 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 right, son! All right. oh, I, I wish, wish JR was here because I want to refer to something he occasionally says in his reviews. He says um, you can look at these comics and ask what grade you would get if you turned this into a creative writing class. And so, like, imagine you're in a creative writing class and you have a story where a character is trying to solve a problem and he tries everything he, he can think of, but nothing works. And so finally, at the very end of the story, an alien abruptly comes to Earth holding the exact magic stick that happens to solve the problem. Um, so, yeah, for the last few issues, we've had this building conflict where at least I've been into it. I guess not anybody else was, but, you know, I was nope. buying into it. And Alpha's been using his power irresponsibly until finally Spider-Man declares he's going to take the power away. And the cover of this issue says the greatest superhero story of all time, Spider-Man versus Alpha. Your appetite is whetted, and you open the page, and Peter is harried from working on high depower Alpha. And your mind starts thinking of the possibilities, like what struggle is it going to take for Peter to depower this guy? How is he going to do it? How is Alpha going to react? But actually, Peter doesn't have one warm shit of a clue how he's going to depower Alpha. <laughs> and suddenly aliens invade. And happen to have the device that drains... Terminus! Terminus! Yeah, Terminus. Who, whoever. Who the hell cares? Batman and Robin in the same month came over to Amazing Spider-Man. Mm. Oh, and, yeah. um... So, like... <laughs> you know... This is a deus ex machina, and the only way it could be more of a deus ex machina of is, is if, like, God actually came into the comic book and killed out. <laughs> and, like... This is something that has been recognized as bad writing since um, Aristotle wrote The Poetics in the year 335 B.C. And this is what like, Aristotle was said. I looked this up on Wikipedia. Um, according to Aristotle, it is obvious that the solutions of plots should come about as a result of the plot itself, not from a contrivance as in Medea and in the passage about sailing home in the Iliad. Um, and here we have just like the biggest contrivance, you know, an alien comes with a magic stick that takes Alpha's powers away. Like I'd call it like solving the problems by waving a magic wand, but since that's too close yeah. to what it actually is, you know, so the, I'm thinking like, how can somebody who's been writing comic books for at least 20 years, write something? Yeah, we this, talked about this. Yeah. Yeah, like Dan Slott's not an amateur writer. He he can't, you know, he he's been writing at least since that Powdered Toast Man special with Spider-Man, you know. He, he he's been around the block. And um you know, the all, all I can think of is he started writing and he had no idea how to finish it. So he just had aliens come and wave the problems away. Yeah. So anyway, uh moving on to other points. When Spider-Man is depowering Alpha, he says, Peter and Horizon had nothing to do with this. This is all me. You know, in other words, I know what I'm doing right now is going to be your villain motivation, so don't kill Aunt May. And, um, 
And, uh... Killing it. Th- th- then we just get two pages of Alpha sort of sobbing without even really saying much. Uh, so all this conflict that, you know, was really selling me on the last issue just pays off as limply as you can imagine. Um, <laughs> Ramos still not enjoying it. And in fact, I think this one's worse because these scenes where Alpha is fighting Terminus, I cannot follow what is going on. Like, is Alpha charging right into him? Is he blasting him? Like, all we see is Terminus sort of wincing and, like, light flashing everywhere, and you can't follow the story. So it's not just the style that I don't like, it's um, the storytelling itself, which is a technical problem, I think, for Ramos as well. And um, if I have to have a positive point, I did sort of like the airplane rescue, with uh, Spider-Man supporting the landing gear with his body, because I enjoy seeing Spider-Man saving people by performing feats that that push his willpower and his physical abilities. And I know we've seen that beat played before, but I think it was different enough this time and a different enough context that it still excited me. But, you know, one good scene doesn't save an issue where the core plot is solved with, you know, a, a really ridiculous deus ex machina, a whole, the whole three-part story is solved that way, so I'm giving this a D+. Plus. <clears throat> that, that that was actually my pro about him saving the landing gear, but that, I had like an homage to Spider-Man 2 with the, the runaway train. Yeah, I was it thinking kind of runaway train. That. Yeah. Um, now the song's going in my head. Um, runaway train, train and not made book crash. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah, and, and um, you know, the master planner where he's pushing the crap off of yeah. himself. Exactly. Yeah, so this is another variation on that same theme, but you know it's, it's a little bit happen. different. I couldn't get, quite tell what Spider-Man was supposed to be standing on, though. I don't know. I guess it's the some, wheel, I guess, or the part of the wheel. Some kind of thing sticking out, just so that in case someone needs to stand on something, they they can yeah. be there. You know what? I'm looking at the panel right now. It looks like he's standing on the tires. Yeah, yeah well, but if the pa- that was the case, and he would have gotten rolled under the tires. Yeah, or his or his like feet would just get skinned. But uh, on the panel above that, maybe it looks like there's these metal. Oh, there's like a things. yeah, there's like a metal thing that stand out right above the tires. Okay, yeah, we're arguing what the hell Spider-Man's standing on, so you know that's definitely an art problem. Right. Um, yeah. So I've said I've said enough. So your grade was a D. Is that what D, you said? D plus the the plus for the airplane part. D as in what? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Dick, I don't know. <laughs> Dick Grayson, okay. Uh, I've got a pro. I've got a pro this time. Hit me with it, Kevin. Hit me with that pro. Um, my pro was J. Jonah Jameson thanking Spider-Man for saving uh, Jameson Sr. and Aunt May. Cause that was my con. That's out of character. I, no, no. they didn't. I'll, I'll let Kevin go. I expected him to walk out of that plant. I saw Jameson Jameson. I was thinking, okay, we're about to get the stereotypical scene of Jameson being a complete moron and thinking Spider-Man had something to do with the frickin' plane crash, and I'm about to hate life again. And then, <laughs> Jameson turns out to not be a moron, say, basically, I'm not an idiot, I know you didn't cause the plane crash, thank you for saving these people. Which is actually, Brad, I'm sorry, in character, because Jameson is usually written in sort of a caricature way, but over the years, he has actually shown character and some intelligence 
And I really liked that he was shown that way in that one moment, and we didn't get that stereotypical scene that I was rolling His at. bias of Spider-Man covers his eyes of anything good Spider-Man can do. I mean, that's a character trait of, the, of Jameson, I think. Well, it's a character trait that doesn't make much sense within the logic of its own title. Because he can see it somewhat... Like, why does he have a problem with Captain America, but he has a problem with Spider-Man? Bertoni, what were you going to say? Do you think it's out of character, too? Well, no, it's, um, they've been building up to it throughout this run, kind of, like, little things, like Robbie saying, hey, Jonah, are you going to thank Spider-Man for the events of Spider-Island hashtag, and then him lighting up, what was it, the Chrysler building or something, like, as a thank you to Spider-Man, like, he's been slowly, over the course of since big time, acknowledging that, okay, Spider-Man's not so bad, and even, even thanking him in hashtag in that public of a way was a very big deal, so... If this was like a one-off thing that happened 10 years ago, then I would say it's out of character. But going along with the last few years, I'd say it might be one of the things that Slot has done right with Jonah. Okay. Uh, any other pros? Yeah. yeah. Hit it. Um, despite myself. Uh, I agree with Kevin. <laughs> I think the, the Jameson scene is very good. Uh, I think the general playing sequence... That's no place in this issue, and I'll get to it later. But I think it, that whole, whole that whole uh, plane sequence is fine. I like the scene where uh, Peter yells at Aunt May, uh, like Mrs. Parker Jamerson, please turn your cell phone off. Uh, I liked it when um, she was trying to call Peter, and like Peter's headset was going off, like you know what she was saying was being repeated in his mask. Yeah, that was good. I thought, I was, that, I thought was that was interesting. So like that bit, I thought was pretty good. Yeah, I'll give you that. Bertoni, any pros? Yeah, I liked. Um if this was another chapter in the Alpha storyline as opposed to the conclusion of either it's the end of Alpha or the first, you know, part of the Alpha saga or whatever. But, like, as a, as another chapter, this was actually a fun issue, the whole, like, plane rescue sequence. I think Slots, when he writes some of the action sequences, does well. Because I liked um, a few months ago when we had the zombie space issues. Like, that was fun stuff, the the crash um, and everything that happened here, the, you know, Spider-Man, um, you know, ripping open the plane and the turbulence and uh, Mrs. Parker. It's Mrs. Parker Jameson. That's what she's worried about right now. I got married. And the Spider-Man and the Jamesons on the plane, that was nice. Um, and like everyone else said, I'll piggyback on that. I liked the Peter and uh, – excuse me, not the Peter, the Spider-Man and Jameson stuff. So I enjoyed probably about – two-thirds of this issue. Its failings are big in other places, but we'll get into that when we do cons. We we didn't hit up the... Uh, well, any other pros? No. Okay. The con, um, may, some of you may have, is Aunt May's now crippled. She's oh. going to walk with a limp. What do you guys think of that? Who cares? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was having a hard time giving a crap. <laughs> there oh, was no, a the big retcon there. They won. All of a sudden, like they like retcon it that like JG that like Jonah Senior like forced her to leave New York against her wishes. Like in the context of that conversation, it's like, oh, I never wanted to leave New York. He made me. But like a year ago, when they <laughs> left New York for like the final time, she's like, yes, Peter. Ever since Betty Brant got attacked, I can't stand New York anymore. I'm not kidding. That's the reason that she gave. Betty Brant got attacked, so the Jamesons left New York. So she's like, so we must leave New York forever. Goodbye, Peter. You'll never see me again. What was the purpose of her leaving? Um, Slot didn't want to write her anymore? Slot actually said that it would have been too ridiculous to have Aunt May turn into a spider creature during hashtag, so he wanted her to leave New York. 
But Jameson's cool. <laughs> to be perfectly <laughs> honest, I'm kind of fine with that reasoning. Yeah, as am I. I guess I am too, but Aunt May's been the golden oldie. You remember this? Yeah. Mar- uh, Marvel team up where she fed Twinkies to Galactus. That was a, that was a dream. I know, but Aunt May's been some weird well, here, here's shit. My thing, <laughs> she, she was written out of the book, but she kept on coming back for like arbitrary reasons. Like, Why was she at Horizon Labs last issue? Uh, oh, we were just in town to talk about Spider-Man's this. anniversary, Don. <laughs> Something that Aunt May obviously cares about. Exactly. But yeah, like, like, like read the issue where like they say that they're going to leave New York, and then read this conversation about like them coming back. And what bothers me, and I know I'm jumping ahead of myself, is like Peter makes the decision for her. Like he's like, no, she's staying right here and not going back to Boston because I'm the person who makes all the decisions, and that's final. Mm-hmm. And then like Aunt May's like happy about this. She's like, oh, Peter, do you really mean it, Jonah Senior? Is that okay? Like a child. <laughs> Uh, cons, uh, Chris? Um, I said most of my cons, but oh, I'm y- you know what? I, I do think I want to call attention yes. to one thing from um, okay. Eric Lexi's review, which I think was a good catch, which is in the previous issue, Aunt May was saying, you know, we, we can get out of your way. We'll take an earlier flight back to Boston. And by yeah. take an earlier flight, they mean leave on our private jet earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you wrote that as proof that like, that slot's literally making it so as it goes along. Oh man, I don't doubt it. I mean, I why would you start the story if how you were going to finish it was with an alien coming with a stick that waves it away? I got the magic stick. <laughs> love that. I love that, Don. Uh, any other cons before we move on? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, hit it. Who? Okay. Oh, hit it. <laughs> the story of Alpha. Yeah. If it was told well, could be an interesting story. Picture this, guys. A 16-year-old kid who doesn't fit in at high school all of a sudden gets all the powers of the universe. He's hanging around with the Avengers, the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. In the meantime, his family's sleazy lawyer is trying to manipulate him, gets him to emancipate himself from his parents. He's going through all this emotional turmoil, being pulled in all these different directions. And as we saw in part one, he kind of means well but he misunderstands Spider-Man's advice, but he's thrown into this position where he's like the most famous guy in the universe. But he keeps on screwing up no matter how hard he tries. He lets the power go to his head, alienates himself from his family. My gosh, you know, it sounds like this is an interesting story and a character that we can actually care about, but we never get inside his head. We never see things from his point of view. We never experience things in a way that makes us care about this character. And really, it's an interesting story. It should be really easy to care about this character. He's a kid. Mm-hmm. He's being manipulated done. by the lawyer. And it's he's – there is so much – we're supposed to feel sorry for him, and but we can't, and we don't. And his story just ends so abruptly. And it's – we could have been on this kid's side by the third part to the point where we would have felt sorry for him when Spider-Man took away his powers, which, by the way – He's like, I only took away some of your powers. So what's to stop him from saying, so I'll still be alpha. I'll still do these commercial deals and all this endorsement stuff and be on TV and be a millionaire. Like, it's not like he lost all his money unless he MC hammered it. Like, (laughs) Spider-Man's like, you're going back to school now and everyone's going to forget you instantly. It's like, first of all, like, he still has some of his powers. They they address that. and. He doesn't fight this, you know, so, like, his characterization's all over the place, but that's because he is no character. He's just reacting to things. We never see things from his point of view, and that's the biggest failing of the issue. Uh, Right. Is there anything else I want to say? And and 
this in the title of the Everyman Hero that we can all relate to. We can't relate to this kid at all. Well, well, we can if they would give us a chance to. Can I? Well, exactly. Can I, can I, can I say this before yeah. <laughs> I have nothing left? Uh, okay, well, go, everything Josh, Josh says is, is exactly the problem with the story. But beyond that, beyond the fact that this is the 50th anniversary, like, first of all, Peter exposes his future as though he's like Madam Web. He's like, this is what's going to happen in exact detail. You're, you're, you'll be a nobody. Everyone's going to be looking at you, laughing for some reason, even though they loved you. And you will have no problem with this. The boy doesn't, like, protest. The kid doesn't, like, you know, say, like, say you, you have no right to do this, or I'm going to try to do this anyway. Like, he just subsumes his natural, like... His, there's no progression. This story could have been complete excised from this year's Spider-Man stories, and nothing would have been changed at all. Like, this whole, this whole thing was completely pointless. And like Josh said, this had so much potential that it really does, like... This is this is this is my education because I actually studied. Th- th- my major was creative writing, and the fact that Slot had this like, opportunity to have a Spider-Man analog be under Spider-Man's care, wrap it up in three issues, and we never know Andy McGuire's personality. This this is a serious f because like th- all the pros don't make up for that 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 almost immorality in, in storytelling. Yeah. All right, let's go around the horn for grades. Don is an f for fail. Yeah, Bertoni, what's your grade? Um, the plane, the plane sequence was fun. It mostly play, fails for other things, you know, like the larger picture. So I'll give it a C plus. And uh, Chris, what was your grade again? A D plus. And Kevin, I give it a D. Kevin, D for depression. I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a C as in Cowabunga. Okay. <laughs> Not crap. Well, well done, Brad. Thank you very much. All right, six ninety five. Uh, my favorite issue of the three. Oh, how can it not? Uh, written by Dan Slott and had some help. Christos Gage, who writes Avengers Academy, came in and helped him out on this one. Dear gosh, how many times has Slott had to have a villain writer helping him during this run? All the time. Well, besides Gage, who else does he have? Oh man, Van was a co-writer on the Space Arc. Van Lente did like co-wrote most of the early big time issues with him. Well, they had that uh, uh, Avengers Academy thing, or was that all Gage? That was all Gage. That was a Gage okay. fill-in, and then uh, Mark Wade did a fill-in for the Daredevil uh, crossover. Oh, that's right. That's right. And, and now, to be fair, he's doing two, sometimes three issues a month. So, yeah, yeah and I was impressed wow. that they got number six ninety four and six ninety five out in just two weeks. It was. Wednesday was six ninety four. Next Wednesday is six ninety five. Well, this one basically Roderick Kingsley comes back and he sees what Ben Yurk. Uh, what, what's Phil Yurk? Phil Yurk. I almost said Ben Yurk. Phil Yurk is doing with his suit and etc. Uh, etc. Et and they also have a Spidey. Um, what is that thing called where it hits his spider sense? The spider sense jammers. Yeah, there you go. That's what happens in this Same one. Thing. Oh. Kevin, hit it up. What'd you think, buddy? Well, first and foremost, I loved the spider sense going crazy throughout the yeah. issue. There's a lot of good stuff done with that. I wrote down some of my favorites. Uh, it pointed out a truck. It, if you didn't read the issue yet, uh, basically his spider sense is going nuts, and uh, there's basically little arrows with captions pointing to things. The yeah. spider sense going crazy on things. So you've got it like it points to a truck. It says huge metal killing machine. Uh, points to a fat guy, says, eight burritos for lunch. Points to uh, <laughs> a can of Coke, says, high fructose corn syrup. Um, 
So, uh, you know, hot coffee was hot. It was just, it was a lot of fun. I thought they did really well with it. Um, certainly didn't, you could say they went overboard with it, because it yeah, they certainly didn't tone it down, but I, I thought it was enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different. It's different. I liked that Roderick Kingsley knows Phil Urich's tech better than Phil does. Uh, he was able to track Phil because he knew there was a GPS and the bat glider, and Phil had no idea, because it's Roderick's stuff. Yep. I liked that Spider-Man didn't fall for the whole, like, crazy man, lunatic laugh thing again. He had made himself a little thing to deal with that that wasn't the elaborate suit where he can't hear anything. Um, I, I, it's very interesting um, that Phil rightfully figures out Spider-Man's identity in this issue. And we'll see. it's not one of those... Well, it's not one of those things where... Uh, we say, oh, Dan Slott just is is trying to wipe away Omit, or Dan Slott forgot about Omit, because the whole thing that Doctor Strange did was referenced in this issue. So Slott's doing something, and I'm not sure what it is, but I'm actually interested. So I really got to give him that. Well, actually, in um, Spider Island, uh, they mentioned that the whole Doctor Strange spell had gone away. Well, in this, he was saying that... Uh, he mentioned the Doctor Strange spell, but was saying that you know if if he's not careful, it could unravel. So right because the spell's gone, going. so people could unravel the secret again now, whereas they couldn't before. Hmm. Either way, it's interesting. I like it. Um, some cons. Uh, cover says Hobgoblin versus Hobgoblin, and we've been teasing that for a few issues now. But Roger doesn't even suit up yet in this issue. He basically gets like what two pages. Um, yeah. So I'm still waiting for that. It is probably my biggest con that uh, Robbie doesn't realize and can't be convinced that it's dangerous to print that Pete makes tech for Spidey. Mm -hmm. That should be freaking self-evident. Robbie tries to compare it to, well, people already knew you took pictures of him, and there was that whole book out of of your pictures of him. Okay, there's a guy (laughs) that takes pictures of Spider-Man, then there's a guy that we're going to outright say knows Spider-Man, communicates with him, knows how to get hold of him, and makes the tech that is helping take the supervillains down. Does that yeah. not sound like somebody the supervillains might want to take out? And for some reason, <laughs> Peter's pointing all this stuff out. And for some, you know, Sally Floyd is a bitch. So <laughs> if she doesn't care, then that's perfectly in character. But Robbie Robertson can't even be convinced that it's a bad idea. I, that's just so far out of character, I can't even deal with it. Um, let's see what else. Um, I like that uh, the new Madam Webb's end is apparently coming, because she <laughs> the crap out of me. Uh, what do you think of Spidey uh, looking like the Hydro Man and that, that bunch of covers cut and pasted in the web. I don't know. That, I looks like the only that was one. something that I noted, too, when she was saying, you know, I can see the entire future. I can see everything. Yeah. And then you have this yeah. big old web of pictures, and it would have been a great opportunity to do some cool teases. But mostly it's Marvel Now advertisements. Uh, <laughs> get, like, literal <laughs> cover the- images. You get an image of Scarlet Spider from Minimum Carnage Alpha. Just mostly things that are happening in Marvel right now. There aren't really any great teases for this title. There is that little picture that has... Peter's head, and he's immersed in water, but uh, I, Hydro Man comes back and attacks him. That's just not right really above a, him. Morbius is like holding over Spider Man. Yeah, well, that's the cover from 699.1. Oh, yeah. whoops. Um, so, again, we're just using cover art. 
and, and yeah, I found that annoying. But yeah, but there's also that. if you look below the Scarlet Spider, there's the talons. Do you think that's Kane? Uh, probably. Uh, yeah, I just I examined the whole thing and didn't really find anything that I cared about. There was an image of the only like the only other new thing I can think of that wasn't like a cover or anything was an image of the lizard with like a Hannibal Lecter thing on his head. Um, so I guess the lizard's coming back, but who didn't think that? There's Spidey with the Punisher, but that's from Warzone. That's the miniseries. Yeah. So like I say, mostly it's just solicited stuff. Um, so I thought that was a missed opportunity, but again, the new Madam Web has been rather annoying, and if this really is her end, I'll cheer. Um, final thing is Kevin Coley's art. <clears throat> I've seen people on our message board and on our front page, uh, especially since he's been announced as one of the – he was one of the names on the uh, Superior teaser, so he's apparently going to be on the regular rotation still. And I've seen several people say they're really happy about that. They really love Kevin Coley's style. He's like their favorite of the current run. Personally, I don't get it. Uh, the aesthetic of his art doesn't really appeal to me at all. It's uh, a lot of, a lot of the lines are way too heavy. The people look kind of stubby and boxy. Um, some of it's kind of unclear and really uh, there's a lot of artists. I would almost say most comic book artists. If you think of their art, you think of a certain look for faces, you know, like, uh, Terry Dodson has a certain way he draws faces, and Alan Davis has a certain way he draws faces, and David Finch has a certain way he draws faces. I'm giving these names to kind of call up those images for you, if you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Kim and Coley has that same thing, and I, I'm i not going to say it's wrong. I'm not going to say it's bad. I just don't like it. I don't like the way his Peter Parker looks at all. It doesn't really look like Peter Parker to me. It's a very square face, and it doesn't really say Peter but I just don't really enjoy his art, so that's a big detractor to this issue for me personally. Yep. And your grade, sir? Uh, I'm giving it a B minus. B as in better than what we've been getting. True, true, true. All right, pros, everybody. Who wants to hop in? This felt uh, like a Spider-Man story. Yeah, exactly. I mean, which I guess that's a very generic thing to say about a Spider-Man title, but, like, truly, like, you know, interacting with the supporting cast, being at the... Daily Bugle, and in fact, does he even suit up um, at any point in the story? I'm trying to remember. Maybe at the, yeah, no, at the beginning, I think, right? Yeah, his he's first fight with Phil. Goblin. Yeah, he's fighting with uh, Phil York. Yes, yeah, I mostly beginning. remember the Peter Parker stuff, but I mean, there wasn't anything like that jumped out at me, like, wow, this person's being written like so out of character and exaggerated, and like, wow, this is, you know, continuity porn, you know, like the way when they referenced the Webb's book, they weren't over the top about it. Like, come on, Peter, everyone knows that an issue, this, this of amazing Spider-Man, the Todd McFarlane run, you wrote a book called webs. I know everyone tries to forget it, but I, Robbie Robert, I mean, Dan slot, Robbie Robertson, you know, remember (laughs) (laughs) it was mentioned in the context of a conversation that made sense. And it wasn't over the top. Like, and I liked the cliffhanger. Um, I'm thinking that Phil Yurick is just thinking that, by getting one over on Spider-Man, he's kidnapped his tech guy. I don't think he's figured out that Peter is Spider-Man. Yeah, I I, I gathered he took the tech guy. Right, and is what I'm gathering. Yeah, and the overheight in Spider Sense is kind of funny. So, in uh, Spider Sense has been so inconsistent over the years, anyway. Um, right. Any pros out of Chris and um, Don? I'll just second the the sentiment that the thing with the arrows pointing at dangerous 
things and things that are not so dangerous but are maybe slightly dangerous. You know, mm-hmm. Spider-Man's going crazy over all of those because his sense is amped up. I thought that was very funny. I thought, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing if they can do even more of it in the next couple issues. Um, it's something new that we haven't seen, which is which is what we I think we all like. Are you sure yeah, about that? I feel that we've seen something like this before. Well, I, I don't we, remember we, it, we have. I can't name a time at the top of my head, but I know either. that Peter's spider sense has been, like, gone crazy a few times. Like, there was one time where it warned him about approaching rain. Oh, I know what it is. It was during JMS's stuff, during Moral and, and like, I think even Shothra. But, I mean, it wasn't played up like this, but, like, where, where Spider-Sense hurts so bad that it hurts him. But uh, I know this is it's kind of different. so bad. Yeah, I, I, at least in my reading experience, I have not seen a story where Spider-Man's Spider-Sense has gone so crazy that staplers just existing causes him to go into a panic. Right. And I think it's a, it's a great premise. Um, it's, been, it's being done humorously, but not over the top, so... And, you know, it's a damn entertaining issue. Yep. I'll agree. I think, uh... I think, yeah, like Josh said, this kind of felt like a Spider-Man issue where we have a lot of things, but it's still kind of Peter's story. Uh, I like, uh, in the beginning, how when he fights Hobgoblin, it's not... You know, it's a Spider-Man fight, you know, the bad guy gets away, but it, Spider-Man was competent, which is... Again, that speaks badly of the run, and Spider-Man has to be competent, competent for it to be a plus, but it was a welcome yeah. addition to read. That pro along with um, the idea of Roderick Kingsley getting his tech stolen is a neat idea because he stole Norman's tech. So I think that's kind of <laughs> I mean, it's just 20, 30 years later, we're coming back. Uh, any other pros? Let's, you want guys want to move on to cons? Yeah. All right, cons. Who's got one? Um, I'll start off real quick. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like this issue. I've actually not re- reviewed it yet, but... Uh, Formally, but I think that like uh, the cons aren't that big, are big a deal. Madame Web is really annoying, and I'm not sure She's why. Always annoying. I'm not sure yeah. why Slot. Maybe Slot likes the nanny show as much as Josh and I do, and Chris. But uh, I, here it's just like all she does is just I don't know. Bug spider. The thing is, Julia Carpenter was a good Spider Woman back in the '80s, and I think it's the idea that I thought the old Madame Web was annoying. Why would the old Madame Web bug him this much? Well, I think no, part of the problem didn't. is the old Madam Web served her purpose and left for a couple of years. This Madam yeah. Web is just like popping up in every arc, going, "I know your future, bitch." Yeah. <laughs> it's like a bad psychic that you can't get rid of. Yeah, yeah. She's in the like meantime, Kanye they got the... in most of these scenes. Like, hey, I hate to interrupt, but I know the future. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the future. You know, Beyonce got it going on, but <laughs> Spider Man. <laughs> Well, this one last one that like is almost becoming a cliche of myself. Uh, while it's awesome that Kingsley's back, I don't like when him talking to him and stuff. He's like, and that's how the real Hobgoblin is going to make you pay. <laughs> talking to himself and nobody else. I don't like that. <laughs> how how should the sentence have fr- been phrased? Okay, all right. Here's how the sentence should have been phrased. Either he thinks to himself, or he smiles evilly, and we don't know what he's thinking. Or he doesn't talk to himself out loud in the, on top of a roof to nobody in the middle of the night. That's simple. <laughs> he did that in... I hate the continuity copy, Dom, but he did do that in his first appearance where he's like, aha, pretty soon the Underworld will know the might of the Hobgoblin. Yeah, but to be fair, that's more a cheesy way that comic books were written back then and thankfully we've mostly gotten away from it. I'm kind of with Don on that one. Yeah, I, I hold yeah. no quarter to people talking to themselves like like a... Mustache twirling villain. There's no excuse for that. 
And he has a mustache now, too. He's twirling it, baby. Uh, any other cons? Not from me. Uh, okay. Just I'm going to piggyback everyone's Madam Web comments. I mean, and I I, use, I hate it when she talks to her daughter now, because it's like... Mm-hmm. I could practically hear the record screeching sound like, oh, yes, the future. Mom! <laughs> <laughs> And, and it's the same gag every issue. Like, she's a psychic who could see the future, but she has to deal with mm-hmm, a moody teenage daughter. That's not the what toy. psychics have to deal with usually. Oh, no. Tell me this ball on ABC. <laughs> Madam Webb. <laughs> and Chris. And yeah. what, would, what would that sitcom be called? Uh, Madam Webb Web, the audience. The Family Webb or something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the Family Webb. I know the future, bitch. <laughs> washed That's up funny. actress as Madam Webb current teen teenage you know hot girl as Madam Webb yeah <laughs> That's funny Woody Harrelson right. as Peter Parker Chris any cons Um is it just me or does Kevin Coley's art look grainier or blurrier or something than it usually is Paul oh, Jones not inking it That's why Yeah That's what Yeah I, I cuz I don't usually He's not my favorite, and he's definitely, even now, in this issue, better than Ramos. But something seemed off to me. Like, I was thinking it must be a different inker or something. That's not close. I, I, I liked it. Um, we kind of hit this up earlier in the, sh- in the show, but um, uh, Wacker, at the end of his letter pages, says, quote, Thanks to all of you out there in, in here for 150 issues of Spider-Man Fun. Most... You, uh, most of you are the best fans in comics. Some most of you, of you. like. Apple's <laughs> I specifically thought he was talking about us. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever. Some of you liked Axel's editing more, but that's just we're looking to the, forward to the next five. And um, he basically talks about how uh, he's allegedly not going to be on Spider-Man after 700, but Bertoni said he'll probably be on Superior Spider-Man. He's so as sneaky. A, Well, actually, in an earlier uh, response to a letter on the same letters page, he pretty much says he's not going to be editing Spider-Man anymore, but you're not getting rid of Slot yet. Oh, he said that? Yeah. Everything is so cheesy, though, that I'm just taking it all with a grain of salt until they actually, like, tell us what's going on. Yep. All right, grades. Kevin? Uh, B minus. Bertoni? I give it a B for uh, Britney Spears as Madam Webb's daughter in the new ABC sitcom. <laughs> uh, Donovan. I'll give it a B as the theme song will be sung by Beyonce. <laughs> okay. What would the waitress give it? Uh, <laughs> uh, Chris, what's your grade, buddy? I'll give it a B plus um, as in uh, I can never think of these now. Move on. The first that comes to your mind. Big Uh, comma, I can see your future. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Giving it a B plus as in B for boobs. Uh, (laughs) We're men. Well, this is really adding a lot to the show. (laughs) When in doubt, add boobs. Uh, But you can't see. Exactly. It's an audio show. All right, let's tackle the message board questions. It would help if I had them up in front of me when I go to message board questions. Friendly but, Neighborhood uh, says... Here we go, here we go, here we go. Friendly, oh, very good, Friendly Neighborhood. 17 posts so far. His location is unknown. 
Which no, villains would you like to see in the Amazing Spider-Man sequel? We kind of hit that up about Sinister Six. A lot of us would like to see that. Anybody else can think of a mind worm, perhaps? Mind worm, talking? and then Kong would be like, oh, I should have taken those royalties. <laughs> <laughs> Kick in the eye. Anybody else? Any other villains? Carnage. Let's just skip Venom and go right to Carnage. I'd, I want the rhino. I think the rhino would look really cool on film. That might make it really dumb if not handled very well. Well, it'd be like the Hulk taking on Spider-Man, which I would just have a geek gasm. Well, we did just have kind of a big brute villain with a lizard. Alpha. Yeah. Oh, ha- how? who would play Alpha? Justin Bieber. It would be perfect oh. casting. Very you know, I, I think Justin. the chameleon could be possibly very interesting. The chameleon? What? I am. Then Justin Bieber could do the soundtrack on Amazing Spider-Man 2. And and Kevin's now died. Um, <laughs> there'll, there'll be a musical number with him and Spidey. <laughs> All right, Alpha. I'll teach you how to fight crime. You teach me how to dance. Can you have a Spidey? Sorry. <laughs> uh, let's see. This is not started by BD this time. No, no. Uh, who started the thread? Was it Bertoni? Yeah, Bert- Bertoni yeah, started it, it. Do you got to say who it is? It's Abul Aziz, who's from uh, Cajun the, land the and Manchester. Like, very good. What if Spider-Man, this is for everyone, what if Spider-Man was trapped in some of Jigsaw's traps? The villain from Saw. Oh, I, I was thinking Punisher. Uh, the villain from Saw on franchise. What do you think he would do in one of those scenarios? A, he still needs to protect his identity, and B, Jigsaw, Jigsaw knows. I think he would just first punch his way through the wall, and um, if Jigsaw knows his identity... I don't know. Get like Doctor someone. Strange to cast a spell. Yeah, if it's a go. Silver Age story, he would slip and fall on his head and then, like, conveniently forget the identity. <laughs> Where's Harry? Yeah, if it was a trap, he would story, just... he would die a horrible death. Yeah. yeah. He would just think of Aunt May and then be able to summon the strength to break the trap. Yeah. And scalp goes away. And then Admiral Akbar would come in and say, It's a trap! <laughs> uh... <laughs> That was, John. that was mandatory. <laughs> Don, I listened to episode 182 again, and the meatloaf joke disgusting you in Ultimate Spider-Man Animated made me laugh again. What show sucks more, this one or Unlimited Spider-Man? I don't remember that joke. <laughs> I don't remember the joke either, but he freaking loved it. What <laughs> uh, um, okay. show sucks more? Do you guys remember the meatloaf joke? I don't. I, I'm afraid I, I, I would do anything for love. But Don ain't gonna do that. No. All right. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've I've not seen the unlimited. I really don't want to review that show. I still need to finish the, the MTV reviews. I would say because unlimited was a cash cow back when Marvel was bankrupt. So that that's that's probably worse. I think. Yeah, uh, it's I, you know you know I want to say Ultimate is worse because I actually did like the first episode of Ultimate Spider-Man. I just didn't like the rest of the series. Yeah, Chris, I read ASM six seventy nine point one. I think you were a bit harsh on Spider-Man jumping on Morbius. He didn't rush. He jumped in when he saw Morbius look like he was attacking Model. What's your thoughts? Okay, well I have the issue in front of me, and so Spider-Man is um, looking at Max and Morbius through sort of like a metal mesh grate through the air duct. And he, it, it's clear that he can uh, hear what they're saying because he's actually responding to what they're saying in his head. And Morbius is telling Max, it's not working, it's getting worse, the hunger. And then Morbius says, run, Max. 
And at that point, Spider-Man breaks in and kicks Morbius in the face. And <laughs> and so I think at the time, uh, maybe he'll go back, listen to the episode and contradict this. But I think what we were bringing up more than anything else was that at this point, Spider-Man should know what Morbius's deal is and that he is sort of involuntarily struggling with this hunger and kicking him in the face after knowing this is just one of those isn't the most rational response. And in fact, he spills the blood um, that are in Morbius's vials on the floor, and that just cause, whips Morbius up even more into a greater frenzy and escalates the fight. So, you know, I guess what I wish is that Spider-Man, knowing who Morbius is, would maybe fall in and try to restrain Morbius without, like, beating him up. But, you know, as Kevin wrote apparent in his editorial, apparently Morbius always gets this reaction from Spider-Man. So this isn't just inconsistent Dan Slott writing. It's something about Spider-Man where I guess he just really hates Morbius. Yeah, he, he uh, yeah. wants to whoop that ass. It's weird. He's, he's a <laughs> professional Morbius face kicker. It's just what he does. There you go. He just kicks him in the face every time. To kick. Some, pe- some people shake hands. Morbius gets kicked in the face. <laughs> Fan- Fantasy Freak. His location is Avengers 1959. Helsenberg? Hel- uh, Helsenberg. I don't know. Helsenberg. There you go. Helsingborg. Bertoni. Thank you for the Bertoni bios. It's a great addition to the podcast. Up there with JR Spider History. That's a compliment. Yeah, I, I don't know if I can accept that compliment after just one segment being released at this point. That's like oh, no, a really big... Mindworm was good this, this month. Uh, can you give us a sneak peek of what's to come with Bertoni's bios? Somebody suggested to me, I think it might have been Chris or Don, to say uh, I should do Bruce from um, the Amazing Spider-Man Wedding Annual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, Jesus, Batman. I, I, I'm not sure which direction I'll go with it. Uh, can I give Brad the secret, uh, the secret origin of Bertoni Biles? How you came up with it, or is that going to be a secret? No, God, I don't even remember what the origin is. Oh, you don't, don't want him to okay. say this. <laughs> nope, fine. fine. He can edit it out if he doesn't like it. No, so you no, know I won't. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> flash forward a year ago. You know, Stella has written her dear John letter to Brad. And Brad is, you know, sitting, you know, crying, oh, Stella, why did she have to leave me? (laughs) What's she up to now? So Brad starts listening to the Batman Universe podcast, and he's like, this is the show that Stella's on now? And he starts texting me like, Stella's left me for Batman. And then he says, I do like like their segment about character spotlights. We should rip that off. So the, I, I haven't listened to the show since. Does Stella do that every month? Yeah, every two weeks with me. Is it Batman? Is it called Batman Bios? Or I, I don't. They're called different things. It's not just Stella that does them, but like she has a thing now called Shipper Spotlight, which is a separate segment. Which is uh, I totally I forgot that I did that, but I I, I uh, guess I'm a plagiarist of the Batman Universe podcast. Well, I used to be on the show, so <laughs> it's uh, it, 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 it's all fair. <laughs> there's there's uh, only 12 ideas, and we all recycle them. Right. <laughs> Look, just ask Mr. Slot. Uh, hey. To Kevin. <laughs> oh, we didn't even talk what's coming up in uh, the bios. I thought I might do Bruce. I'm, I'm kind of taking it as it comes, like, um, because the way you presented it to me at the time was to use villains, but then I was like, oh, Bill in law, he's funny, so. No, you can do anybody, just anybody that is not well that well-known, and we don't know that much history about him. I'm going to do Harry Osborne. <laughs> That'll take up an hour and a half. But no, Candy, Bambi, and Randy would be fun. Um, 
Frederick Foswell, there you go. Um, it, I don't know if I consider Frederick Foswell obscure, because he was a regular supporting character in the book for so long, and he's a lead Dicko character. One one person, Gloria Grant, I think would get, be good. Are you kidding me? She appears, she, she's, she's the mayor's aide. She yeah, no, really, people that just read modern comics don't actually really know that much about her character. Exactly. Change yeah. the rules on this, whether you like it or not. Well, she was like a foxy brown model when she started out. Like, well, you're you're looking at things with Bertoni glasses, which are the glasses of somebody that's read friggin' everything. Exactly. <laughs> and that's not most. How about of John- Jonathan Cesar? That oh, that's a good one. He, 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 that is a good one because he's he's very much like of the period that he was in, and he's like th- he's almost forgotten now. Yeah, Jonathan Cesar. I might do. Uh, some of the Burn Mackey cast. Jill Stacy would be a good one, actually. Why are you pronouncing Stacey. Stacey, Josh? And I know why you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, who else was I thinking of? Uh, Randy Roberts? Well, no, he's kind of... Yeah, he's, he's a Kiwi little... kid from uh, Paul Jenkins' run. See, the thing, oh, the, yeah. the thing that's always fascinated me is, like, the characters... The what Say what? Kiwi kid. Which, the which one? The Kiwi kid. I don't remember Everyone the Kiwi kid. Everyone knows the Kiwi kid. <laughs> Everyone, no. Brad. He was one of Peter's neighbors. His name was like Big John, and like he's like, I'm a superhero in uh, whatever country I'm from. I think he was Australia. He's oh. like, I'm the Kiwi kid, and he like he didn't really help Peter fight Doctor Octopus, but he had like something to do with the plan. He was a diversion or something, and he had a costume. And there's a scene. He's like sunbathing, and like Spider Man sweeps up over him, looks down. He's like, I'd like to get in touch with the Kiwi kid, and it was very early Ramos art. There are all kinds there, of. Uh, there are all kinds of great Paul Jenkins characters you can use because there's the female neighbor with the dog who was apparently Aaron Earl and Barbara. Is that dog building something? <laughs> you could like, you could do the Taylor from the JMS run. That guy was awesome. Yeah. As a, oh. as an adult, I'm like, wow, that dog was just a dog. But as a kid, I was like, is the dog building something? Is he a scroll? What's going on? <laughs> I was like so captivated by that story. So you've got plenty to choose from. This is yeah. Maybe a, I, I like the segment. Uh, to Kevin, what are your expectations for the upcoming Morbius title? Uh, I don't think I have expectations as much as hopes, um, because, I don't know, for expectations, I feel like that would have to be educated, and I don't know the writer. Um, he's been getting good reviews on Glory and Hell Yeah, but I haven't read either of those titles. That's the name of the book, Hell Yeah? Yep. It's uh, <laughs> it's a so far five issues in image book of his, and it is called Hell Yeah. It's not a bad title. It's no not, not any worse than Kick Ass. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know what to expect. My my hopes, I think I've said before, are fairly general. I just really hope to God I get a good Morbius title that lasts. Um. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's things I'd like to see. I'd like to see some of the older. Uh, Marvel Supernatural characters pop up, like Werewolf by Night was a good friend of Morbius. I'd like to see some Blade. Um, I don't want Hellstorm anywhere near it now, because uh, apparently he's just been screwed up to high hell. Um, but but yeah, mostly I just want some good stories, and I've started reading DC's I, Vampire recently, and that's a great title, and it's the best vampire title I've read in a long time so my hope is that it can match the quality of I Vampire we'll see yeah. uh, Chris and Kevin are you both annoyed at the tonal shift in Venom and what are your expectations of Minimum Carnage? I'll go first um, I'm getting to the point where I'm ready to be annoyed with it uh, 
like because we've had a sort of goofy 90s style story with Venom fighting demons, and now we're going to have a goofy 90s style story with Venom teaming up with Scarlet Spider slash Kane and fighting Carnage. And so I'm worried that, you know, we're just going to be sort of mining that tone for all it's worth. And I don't like runs or writers to be one-trick ponies. I want a spectrum to feel a spectrum of emotions and have different things happen when I'm reading a comic run. So I want him to hopefully, after Minimum Carnage, do something that is maybe I'm not sure, street just level. something different. You know, some is it street level? This is very. I, I think it's very like Spider-Man in space. Is what I'm taking from like it. yeah. I, I, I don't know. I just want I just want a little bit of a different tone. I don't want it to be like crazy goofy '90s style stuff forever and in every episode, every issue. So you know, if it keeps going in that direction, I'll become annoyed. Uh, um, I'm on the edge right now. My expectations for uh, Minimum Carnage are that just hopefully it will just be a fun. Um, story and have some good Scarlet Spider moments because he's the one who's stealing the show, not Venom. And, uh, you know, I'll just see what comes. It's coming out over the next couple of weeks and the first issue was okay. Not great. Yeah. Kev? Um, I can't speak as much to a tonal shift because the first issue of Venom I picked up was Cullen Bunn's first issue. Um, although, I, like I said, I have been catching up on the old stuff, and by the time I record the next one, I'll, I should be all caught up. But for me, starting on his run, it has not been what I want out of a Venom comic, or any comic, really. It's, it's kind of my least favorite kind of comic story, which is a uh, big, strong character pounds on other big, strong characters. Not a lot of logic goes on, and things just end. It was mm, one of the worst comic stories I've read in a while. Uh, and then we started on Minimum Carnage. Obviously, me and Chris reviewed Minimum Carnage Alpha on the homepage, so we've at least read the first part, so we know something of what's uh, what to expect. And that kind of lowered my expectations, because I was hoping for a good crossover there, but I just, you know, I think we both found it rather uninspiring, and mm-hmm. there's still potential, because, uh, as he said, Scarlet Spider was written very well, um, and the fact that we haven't really seen Scarlet Spider and Venom together yet, except for one panel of the last page, um, means that we still can anticipate the team-up aspect. So I'm still hopeful that maybe the team-up will be fun, and that now that we've moved past the illogic of the setup, that we can just have a good time. But we'll see. To anyone, do you... Danny, have you look forward to the upcoming Marvel Studios movies, or is it too early to start speculating? I'll answer this because I've not said anything in a while. Yeah, um, and it might be, kind of be kind of negative. I'm not really Jones for, Jonesing for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy because I'm not a Nova reader or reader of the cosmic stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not. I'm not really. Sure, I might see it, but I'm not really sure if I am going to see it because I have zero knowledge on those characters. If it has anything to do with the, you know Avengers two, I probably should. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to suck. I'm just like I'm. Right now, I'm not interested, but uh, what do you guys think could be interesting about it? Gar- that that recent Guardians of the Galaxy book was outstanding, and it really has nothing to do with the previous Guardians of the Galaxy. And I liked that version, that book from the 90s with Jim Valentino. I liked that is- those issues a lot, too. It, the thing is, when you start talking, 
Well, what are the the movies coming out first off? We've got Iron Man 3, Thor 2, Cap 2. Guardians uh, of the Galaxy and then Avengers Guardi- 2. That's it. And well, an Ant-Man, Ant-Man has been Ant-Man. Don't we have an Ant-Man? Yeah. The, the thing is, it's a true test of how successful the brand of Marvel is if Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant-Man succeed. I, there, there was a bit of a te- test with Iron Man 1, if it's going to succeed. But I think kids can get behind an iron suit and a great actor in Robert Downey Jr. I think those two uh, help sell it and it, help build on the next ones. When you, when you start talking Ant-Man, you start talking Guardians of the Galaxy, are kids going to like a talking raccoon in a tree that says Groot? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, I think it's they, more they the will. Okay. Have to win over because at this point it's a double-edged really? sword where they have Marvel Studios has built up so much credit that this is the only point in history they would be able to make a big budget Guardians of the Galaxy movie. The True. and people will go see it because of that and also because Thanos has been confirmed for both Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers 2, so it will relate. So they will see it for that reason. The question yeah. is once they see it Will that credit still be there? If it's not something that's going to really appeal to everybody, they will spend a lot of that credit they've built up. What is, Did anybody read Guardians of the Galaxy? I, I love it. Well, my question is, what, what, is, what, is, uh, what do you guys like about Guardians of the Galaxy? What about that is, is, uh, what would you recommend people for just who, want, who might want to see the movie? It was well written. It's a fun First title. It's a fun group. Yeah. Um, Rocket Raccoon is actually one of the reasons I'm kind of interested in the yep. movie, just to see the tiny raccoon with a bad attitude and guns bigger than him on screen in a live-action movie. <laughs> I know, dude. Sounds like freaking fun. <laughs> I then, know. You know, I'm thinking of, like, the voice. I'd love to see Nathan Fillion cast for that voice. I mean, he's worked with the director before in Slither. Uh, Why not Fillion as uh, Star-Lord? Uh, he could be. Um, yeah. but Star-Lord's one of those that I don't think is as important in the casting. It could be almost anybody. He's not... Star-Lord, to me, is the member of the cast with the least personality. Yeah. Um, but Groot, then, you know, just cast somebody like, again, just thinking of people that James Gunn has worked with, Rain Wilson from, uh, The Office. Cast him as the voice of Groot, and he'll just go <laughs> to hell. Um, <laughs> and then you have characters like, uh, Drax and Gamora, who are sort of ridiculously yeah. badass dealing with this team, which is usually fun times, and Star-Lord trying to wrangle them all. So it's a fun cast, and when Abnett and Landing were writing it, at least for like the first 20 or so issues I read, it's just a lot of fun. So if they capture that in the movie, and they hired a director who seems to just have fun with movies, so that's a good start, then if they can capture that, I think it'll be good. What do you think yeah. uh, can... What do you think people could could possibly look forward to in an Ant-Man movie? Like, what about Ant-Man is, in, is interesting? <clears throat> well, I mean, it's been done 20, 30 years ago with Tony, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> but... Well, it's one thing to have somebody and, shrink, and another thing to have somebody shrink and then be a super, superhero with it. I think it'd be fun visually. I think the entire point with that one is that Edgar Wright is the director. So you're going to have the tone of a Simon Ooh. Pegg movie or a Scott Pilgrim. And that is, again, probably the only way you could do an Ant-Man movie. So... I'm still yeah. really skeptical of an Ant-Man movie. I, I I gotta admit that, but it's possible. Yeah, I think those are the only two that we have question marks about. I think the other ones will succeed quite well. Oh hell yeah! I'm looking yeah. forward to Winter Soldier a lot. And that's a wrap on this episode. Before we go, I want to give another shout out to our sponsor, MailOrderComics.com. 
Another example of their great prices is on Avenging Spider-Man number 15.1. This one follows Amazing 700 and it looks back at the great fights between Spidey and Doc Ock. The cover price is $2.99. Mail order has it for just a buck 85, which is 38% off the cover price. So check them out at mailordercomics.com. Thanks for listening, gang. I'm your host and webmaster, Brad Douglas, for the Spider-Man Crawlspace.com. <laughs>